so incredibly humbled and honored and absolutely petrified to be in front of you here today. So I have been trying to, you know, psych myself up for this for a long time. When Dr. Kuhn came to my office a couple months ago and said, hey, you want to speak in chapel? I said, nah, nah, maybe it's okay, whatever. And, and then he said, oh, yeah, maybe you'd do good. I said, well, I, I'm willing, you know, but I think you'll probably find someone else. So, you know, just let me know. And then, um, but it, it seemed like an okay idea at the time. And then like last night I'm thinking, what did I sign up for? Are you kidding me? And so anyhow, before I get too far, uh, I just want to pray for this moment I have here with you today. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just praise you and thank you for each and every one of these beautiful, precious, brilliant children of yours that you've entrusted to me for this time. Dear Lord God, I just thank you for this awesome opportunity. Dear Lord God, I just praise you and thank you for Crown College. And dear Lord, please keep a hedge of protection around us. We just come before you and we ask for forgiveness for our many sins. And thank you for the glorious blessings and let us be a light unto the world. Amen. Okay, so here we are today, and I'm going to be talking to you about hurt, how to prepare, and how to heal. And how many of you have ever wondered, what does the devil look like? Have you ever wondered, what does the devil look like? Anyone? Anyone? I mean, I mean, obviously, he probably doesn't, you know, have red, wear little horns, right? I mean, that would be just too obvious, right? I always kind of imagine he kind of looks like the Wicked Witch in Oz and Golem, kind of rolled together, right? You know what I mean? Like, and then when I said, the very second I said to Dr. Kuhn, you know, yeah, I, I'm willing to speak in chapel, the devil was saying, I'll get you, my pretty, precious, you know, it was like this. You know, so, you know, and since that time, you wouldn't believe the suffering that has gone on in my house. But, I mean, I was thinking, gosh, what the heck is going on with that? But when you really think about it, would it be just honest for me to come before you and talk about hurting and suffering at a high point in my life? Or would it be more honest and open and real if I come to you and talk to you about suffering from a point of suffering? And so here I am, and um, I just want to say, you know, it is such an honor to be here. Um, uh, it just at Crown, I, I think sometimes people don't realize what an amazing place this is. I, I feel like, you know, the movie um, where Maria is going to the Abbey, you know, the sound of the mu sound of music, right? One of my favorite movies. Oh, my goodness. And... Um, you know, uh, and, you know, I used to work in the corporate sector, and there was just, it was just ugly sometimes. And then I come here, and it's just beautiful and wonderful and wonderful people. You know, Dr. Zoff over here, he's had such patience with me. He's kind of like my boss, and he has such patience. And, 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 you know, Rivard, oh, what an amazing man. And I could just go on and on. So many wonderful people. So, um, Anyhow, so I'll start here. Uh, the first verse I wanted to mention to you was, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I highlighted plans. I highlighted plans because that is a theme. We may have plans in life. And I will tell you the simple fact of me being here today is just, it wasn't really part of my plan. I don't know about you if you started college and you thought you were going to go to med school, but then you had chemistry. Oh my goodness. Yes, I did. I don't I was a pre-med student. I, I was. So were all of my friends. We were all pre-med. None of us are doctors today. None of us. 
None of us. Yes, I did. I, um, I started pre-med because I wanted to work in Africa and like cure diseases. And what did I do last semester? I was teaching business law in the science lab with a bunch of skeletons. I mean, God has such a sense of humor. I, 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 would, have, I would have never taken business law in undergrad. Those people were weird. They, like in undergrad, I was a tree hugger. I mean, I was a tree hugger. I wanted to save people's lives. They were in business law. They were wearing suits and ties. And so here I am today, 20 years later, teaching it, you know. So there are plans. We have plans, right? We have plans, and sometimes they don't work out. But sometimes God has something amazing and infinitely better than we could have ever imagined. But also, when you are going to face pain and suffering. And some of you, you are at that blessed point of life where you may not have suffered yet. I know you might have had a breakup with a boyfriend or something like that, and it seems really big at the time, but you haven't had the catastrophic stuff happen in your life yet. A lot of you, I know, I know so many of you have had great and terrible suffering in your life, but some of you still haven't yet. You haven't lost a grandparent or anyone in your life. And I'm here to tell you that if you haven't suffered, you will. And it's an undeniable truth in life that you are going to suffer. But here's the thing. You should not fear it. It is inevitable. And fear is just going to rob you of the current joy that you couldn't have. But you should prepare for it. You should prepare for it. And that's what I'm going to talk to you today about. All right. Let me test this out. Make sure I go the right way. So first off, just a little bit about myself. Here are my kids, uh, Curtis and Annie. They do have clothes on, but I cropped it off. It looks a little bit cuter there. Um, they are a lot older, but this is my children. My mom spoils them to death. I work so hard to not let them have TV or ice cream or candy, and then she comes for a day, and then, you know, totally, like, comps out the whole good I did the whole week. But they, she let them have ice cream. And uh, it is amazing how sometimes through our greatest pain and suffering, any of the women in here who've ever given birth, right? Okay, if you've ever given birth, okay, just let me just tell you, okay, guys have no idea, okay? They don't, they don't. You, it's just like in the movies where you see the woman giving birth and she wants to, like, kill her husband. And seriously, it is such wretched pain. I, this one, the, my son, the oldest one, he was big. He was so big. He was really big. And he was stuck. And I used to be, like, really tiny. And he was so big. And, okay, so I was... I was almost 10 months pregnant. I was way, way overdue, okay? So I was way overdue. And I was walking in, uh, you know, I was walking in this big parking lot, okay? Really big parking lot, really big woman, okay? And I was walking, and this guy, way over on the other side of the parking lot, he looks at me and yells across the parking lot. He says, hey, lady, do you need a wheelbarrow? And, and like, oh, my word, oh, my word. Like, when there's a woman who's pregnant, okay, in July, that is not the time to mess with the pregnant redheaded attorney. And so I looked at that guy and I was trying to have the love of Christ, but I was about to run him down with my truck. I'm not kidding you. And so, you know, there's those moments. And so as any mother knows what comes from some of the greatest pain and agony, but that baby that baby, oh my goodness gracious, after oh, just oh hellish labor with this one. Oh my word. 
that boy, he just stole my heart. And he ran away with it and has never come back. He's still running. And he's, he's eight and a half. And he, he, now he's so proud he can outrun mom. And there's Annie. Oh, okay. So when I was pregnant with my sweet little Annie, I thought, oh, Lord, I feel bad for this little girl. I knew it was a girl. We found out it was a girl. And I thought, this poor little girl, how, how would I ever love another child as much as I love my son? I mean, I love him so much I would never. I, I, I feel bad for her already. You know, and then the second... The second she was out, she came out just easy. She was just a piece of cake, you know. And it has been a piece of cake ever since. And uh, I looked at her, and in all of my life, I have never seen something so beautiful. And just like my son is my very heart, my daughter, she is my soul. And I'm serious. She is just, I, I, I just can't, I'm in awe of her every day. And so you love your children the same um, as much equally, but you love them differently in different ways. And so uh, I have a quick clip for you. You can roll the clip. Um, my children, I always wanted a big family, but I, I only have two. But it feels like I have big, a uh, really, really big family because they're so loud. And this is a clip they did. You can roll the clip if you'd like. Oh, I'm sorry. Or did I have it out of order? Oh, there it is. Okay, here they are. I found her. I found her. Let's see her. Let's see her. because they're just so loud and busy all the time. And um, anyhow, so that I had just gotten my new iPod, and my son, he wanted to make a movie. I said, sure, you can make a movie. And so they did this whole skit, and then they filmed it. And at the end, see, the rule was he wasn't supposed to run with my iPod. And at the end, you can see I was wrestling the camera boy and the hunter away from my iPod. So anyhow, that's how the bunny got away. And um, so that, that's my kids. Um, all right, I'm sure the animal rights people would love that one. So all right, um, next up, let's see here we have, oh, wait, 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 I gotta go back here. Okay, so here's my tribe. So, um, this is, uh, I've been married uh, about 18 years. Uh, this is my husband. He's extremely handsome, kind of crazy sometimes, but he's a good-looking guy. Um, I've, I'm told that all the time. There's a certain cohort of women who really like my husband, and, and they're, they're old. They're really old, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> We went to a nursing home one time to visit some friends, and, okay, so don't tell him I told you this story, but it's funny. Okay, so we went to this nursing home, and uh, he walks in first, and there's, like, really old people. They're, like, 90-year-olds, okay, and this happens all the time with my husband, but there was this old lady, and um, she's talking to him, and she's in a wheelchair. She had to be at least 95, and so he's talking to her, and then I walk up, and she says, oh, shoot, there's the wife, and I was like, What? You're like old enough to be his grandma, you know? I mean, I mean, well, who knows? Maybe when I'm 95, I'll be that way too. I don't know. But um, so yeah, so there's my uh, there's my family. Uh, yeah, so marriage uh, marriage is an interesting thing for sure. I have so much to say about it, but I'll move on. So next up, we have stages of grief. I'm sure you've all studied the stages of grief. Oh, and the F kind of moved down there. Sorry, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, uh, and um, this is uh, this is something that 
there's some truth to the stages of grief, and many of you are going through this, but at the same time, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was the one, she was kind of the founder of the modern-day hospice movement, and this is her quote about stained glass windows, which is one of my favorites when we study it in my lit classes. Um, she, she didn't mean it to be a checklist, okay? Some accounts suggest that she almost regretted putting this down on paper because pretty much it's so foundational in our culture when people you know, suffer with grief. We talk about these stages. And, and she said, you know, I, I didn't really mean it to be a checklist. It's just something that some people go through. And, and it's good to keep this in mind. And, and I always wonder why she didn't put in this list uh, crying on the kitchen floor because, you know, that's my favorite. And so I don't know exactly where that fit in but how did she miss that one? That's, it's so obvious. But next up, um, pain will come, but you should be prepared. And the thing I really want to get across to you today is this. You have a choice. Um, you have to choose to respond accordingly and, and choose God and God-honoring activities. So sometimes when people are hurt and suffering, can you tell me what is something that pre- young people especially sometimes turn to when they're suffering? What is something that young people turn to when they're in pain? Anybody? Alcohol. What was that? A buddy. The bad, sometimes the, the bad things that people turn to. Sometimes the bad things people turn to are maybe alcohol, sex, drugs, reckless driving, reckless lifestyle, right? And the thing is, that's kind of a default setting. And I think that's the unfortunate thing is that that's where young people turn to sometimes. Because with pain, you have this energy. And what do you do? And, and my thought for you is this, that sometimes you need to choose God and God-honoring activities. Pain causes energy and you have this amazing amount of energy and rather than pouring it into destructive activities I encourage you to pour it into good activities stop the cycle of pain when you do things in your state of pain that don't honor God what you're doing is continuing the cycle of pain for others What you're doing is continuing the cycle of pain for others. You see that in families and generational addictions, and you see that in crime, that a lot of people who are criminals, somebody offended them and hurt them earlier on, and it just starts this cycle. And you have to be the one. You have to make that choice to say, I'm going to be the one, and I am not going to let this pain continue for generations to come in my family. I'm not going to go out and do onto others. What has been done to me, I am going to be better and I am going to honor God with my words and my acts and my heart. And so you choose things. You choose things that are good. For me personally, I know that when I am hurt, if I turn to certain things that are God honoring, that helps me. So for instance, when I am sad, I went through a period of deep sorrow, and I wrote poetry like crazy. I wrote poetry, and I read poetry, and I submitted poetry, and I actually got some submit, like, published. No way. It's crazy. One of the greatest, you know, you get a lot of rejection when you try to write. And I, I publi- or submitted and submitted and submitted, and I remember when I was in the post office, and I got this letter saying, your poem has been accepted by this journal. And it was like this happy dance. I was just, it was like winning a lottery. Now, is writing poetry God honoring? Absolutely. Another thing I like to do is when I'm hurt or angry or sad is I get on my little treadmill. No, I just turned 39, so I'm not really an athlete. I never was, so I don't really run very much. But when I'm really mad, I do. I crank it up to about 9.3 and run for about 100 meters. And why don't I want... (laughs) 
It's an all-out, really fast sprint. And if I would go even one step further, I'm certain I would die. And so, so I, but I run and I do that over and over until sometimes I feel better. And biologically, the scientists, they know that, right? What happens when you exercise? What ha- endorphins, right? It starts to help heal you. But what do we do when we're in pain? What do we do when we're in pain, right? Have you ever heard the saying, when you're going through hell, what should you do? Keep running. But what do we do when we're in pain? We're, we're in hell. We kind of cuddle down here and say, please, just leave me alone. Please. But that doesn't help. That doesn't get you anywhere. You have to keep running and keep running. And then you know what? That's what helps. And it's, it's just ironic. What we do when we're in pain is oftentimes adding to the cycle of pain, right? But we have to think proactively, and we have to say, we are going to follow beauty and don't wallow in evil. Don't wallow in evil. And so it's hard. It's hard. And and I I tell you this, um, you know, sometimes you don't realize how close you are to a, a breakthrough of happier times. You've heard probably the story of dogs with the electric fences, right? Have you ever seen a dog in an electric fence? Now, we know, we know that if he would just run right through that fence, he'd be free, right? But the dog, he's conditioned. The dog is conditioned to stop because he felt a little bit pain, and then he goes back and lives in his little, little tiny yard. But if he would have just pushed through that pain and through that electric fence on the other side was complete freedom. And so, with that... I encourage you, have a plan. What are you going to do that honors God when you are in pain? Capitalize on that sad point in your life. And I will tell you this, as a writer and as somebody who has studied writers and creative people for decades, some of the greatest creations in all of history, the greatest works, the greatest art, the greatest stories, the greatest poems, the greatest words you've ever written or seen, some of the greatest beauty, that has come not when that person was at and high in their life. It came from the depths of their sorrow. One of my favorite poems of all times was written by William Ernest Henley. It's called Invictus, which means unconquered. How many people know Invictus? And I hope a few raise their hand because I make you learn it in my class, don't I? And it goes, out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole. I think whatever God may be for my unconquerable soul in the foul clutch of circumstance. I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloodied, but I'm bowed. And it goes on and on. And that was a poem that he wrote a couple hundred years ago. And it inspired a great man in South America, or South Africa, sorry, Nelson Mandela. He had it on the wall of his prison. How many people have seen the glorious movie titled Invictus? So you had William Ernest Henley in a different continent, a different time and place. He wrote a poem in the depths of his sorrow. He didn't wallow. His head was bloodied but unbowed. He held his head high and he wrote a poem that created something great and beautiful that lasted on after him and inspired a great leader of a nation. Think about that. Think about Ernest Henley, William Ernest Henley, if he would have just said, oh, I'm in pain. I'm just going to sit here and wallow in it. No, he created beauty in the depths of his sorrow. Next up. 
This is my grandpa. I talk about him all the time. He is one of the greatest loves of my life. And I want you to think about, given you are going to face pain and suffering and hurt, who heals your hurt and heart? I'm 39, and he's, uh, in this picture, he was 92. He's so adorable, I can't even understand it. He still snow plows his own yard and shovels and, and, and everything, and Moses' yard and everything. He's just amazing. He's from that generation where you would never hire anybody to do something for you. And um, my family, some families are football families. My family, we're not really into sports as much. We're into politics. That's our favorite sport, right? Yeah. And so in our family, too, just like some families would cheer for the Vikes or the Packers, in my family, we're split right down the middle, and we cheer for the Democrats or the Republicans. Okay, so we talk politics all the time. My mom doesn't. She doesn't like very much. She put up a sign one holiday and said, no politics allowed. But here's my grandpa. He is a lifelong Democrat, and he is so amazing. He has such a heart for doing good. At 92, he drove to a protest rally to support the nurses in the state of Minnesota. At 92, you know, a lot of people think they should be dead by then, but he's driving to a protest rally. And these are his words, not mine. His words, not mine. He said, or, you know, he, my aunt was telling me this. She's a nurse. And she said, Grandpa was out there teaching all the nurses on the line how to spot scabs. And so I was like, Grandpa. And so if you're older, you'll understand what that meant. But um, so he also, one time, um, my, he was with my uh, son. My son was two years old. And this was during an election time. And he sent my uh, son home with a little button that said, uh, it was a Hillary Clinton button. And he sent it to my husband. But my son was wearing it. And he taught my son. And he was just two or three at the time to say, I'm a Democrat. And so, and so, so there's all kinds of good political. We, we have a lot of fun with it. So when you are suffering, who heals your hurt and heart? For me personally, it's my grandpa. I just go sit with him and I just hold his hand. He doesn't have to fix anything for me. He doesn't have to tell me what to do. But just being with somebody who's 95 gives me a bigger sense of time and that this too shall pass. And so I encourage you, this is one, my one assignment for you all. If you have grandparents, treasure them and go call them today. Go call them and tell them you love them and bless them. And because you don't know how long you're going to have them. I only have one left. And, uh, you know, if you have them, call them and tell them you love them. Uh, and then where do you find peace and joy? Again, hurt and pain and suffering, it's going to come. Think about it. Be proactive and have a plan. <laughs> One thing I want you to keep in mind is that sometimes people in their own life, they become defined by pain. But the paradigm shift I want you to have is this, that you need to be refined by pain. God gave us something called free will and free choice. Stephen Covey in his best-selling book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which was all the rage about 20 years ago. We all had it, and we all had our little Franklin planners, and we went to Franklin planning training sessions. And anyhow, uh, he talked about in his book Seven Habits that the difference 
uh, between us and all of the animals in the animal kingdom is this. We have the power of free choice. In between stimulus and response, there is a moment of time, and that is so precious. That is where we have choice, right? That is where we have choice, and that's what makes us different. And we can choose to allow the pain to define us, or we can choose to allow it to refine us. And so there are benefits to pain. When I was younger, um, when I was going through elementary school, oh, how I hated it. I mean, I loved it. I loved my teachers, and I loved to learn, but I was such an awkward little kid. I know I'm still pretty awkward today, but I had frizzy red hair and buck teeth and albino white skin and these big, huge glasses, and I was picked on, and I always had to sit by myself at lunch, and you know, you know, the bullying thing. Today, we talk about bullying a lot in school. My kids have a t-shirt. They have to wear it every Friday, and if they don't wear it, uh, they get picked on, which seems to me that the t-shirt missed the mark just a little bit, and so, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, back then, bullying, you know, I have to say, it actually gave me a thicker skin and a tender heart, and so sometimes pain can actually strengthen you in a very good way. And it can also give you a tender heart for those who are hurting. It also gives you a sense of maturity. My son today, I'm thinking about this big presentation, talking to, you know, a few hundred people, and my son's like, Mom, 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 I need you. I need you. It's an emergency. And, okay, so I'm finally like, what do you need? He says, Mom, get me a blanket. I'm cold. I'm like, what? Okay, you can get your own blanket, but to him, he's a little kid. This is the biggest deal in the world. So as you get older, pain kind of gives you a certain maturity that can only come via age and going through some suffering. It also gives you a wider audience having gone through suffering. You can relate to more people and encourage them in a way you couldn't before. Next, oh, some of my favorite quotes from Adele. Ah, oh, throw your soul through every open door. I love that one. Um, one thing to keep in mind, the, the Katy Perry one, maybe the reason why all the doors are closed is so you can open the one that leads you to the perfect road. I know it's not exactly biblical, nor is, you know, but I think there's a lot of truth there. So sometimes doors are closed for a reason. One of my, a uh, couple of my dear friends, uh, she, was, she was a straight-A student. She decided to sign up for Wycliffe, and uh, she was just going to go to her intensive language training. I believe it was in Texas, and she got terribly sick really like deathly sick and she was like god why are you doing this to me i i'm do i'm serving you why are you doing this to me i i'm going to, you know to another country i'm giving up my life to do all these great noble things and then so she missed that uh period that training session and she had to go the next year and she went the next year and do you know who she met there her husband so had she gone the year she wanted to go in her own timing, in her own plan, she wouldn't have met the man of her dreams. And so sometimes it doesn't always work out that way, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. The problem of evil is a huge one, and this is one of the stumbling blocks I had when I first came to college. If God is good, why does he allow us to suffer? This is the quote that I read that really caused me to be an agnostic for a couple years of my life. Why does he allow us to suffer if he loves us? And if he's so powerful, why doesn't he change it? But I will tell you this, that without suffering, would we savor? 
Without suffering, would we savor anything at all? And this is where I'm at this past couple of weeks. As I mentioned at the beginning, we've gone through absolute suffering at my house three weeks ago. Our water pipes froze. They froze, and they are still frozen. 80 people in Minnetonka, and we don't have water. So every other day, we have to hook up this water hose to our neighbor who, seriously, I mean, I love my children, but these neighbors, I love them so much. If they asked for one of my kids, I'd be tempted because they have been just so awesome to us. I mean, they have been so awesome to us. They're wonderful Christians. They're trying to figure out, they're trying to help us. The dad, the guy, he's researching on the internet, trying to help us. We hook up to their house every other day and uh, have water for, you know, a little while. But I never thought about water until I didn't have it. And now that we don't have it, once we hopefully get it again someday, I will always cherish it. I will always cherish it. Think about the people in your own life. Do you hug them just a little bit longer, just knowing in the back of your mind maybe you won't see them again? What would we savor if we didn't suffer? I will also mention um, the John Steinbeck quote is one of my favorites. Um, it's in the contrast. It's in the contrast there's glory and splendor. Uh, these are tulips that I planted on our, on our property. We have kind of a rustic area, and I planted 500 tulip bulbs one year, which was an ecological progression. I planted 500 tulip bulbs, which brought in about 500 squirrels from every area of the world. And they came to my house, so I bought guns off of eBay. Not real guns.